0: Mission, values, vision for us. This is a base camp here. We desire to be a people. We desire to be a church that's about pointing all people to a passionate pursuit of the radiant God. Oh, we desire that. Values. Intensely vertical, foundationally scriptural, deeply relational, genuinely authentic. man, Those are great values. Out of all that, um, might God do it where there be worshipers who are increasingly bringing glory to God, and disciples intentionally getting deeper in their walk with the Lord, and God's people increasingly sharing their life and the gospel with others. And might it even be that, I don't know, by God's grace by 2030, that we as a church are able to permeate the west side of Indianapolis with the hope of the gospel unlike maybe we've ever seen before. We've been kind of coalescing ourselves around all of that this year. I talked about all of that uh, in January of this year. We're just at a very unique and special time as a church. And I use January to kind of talk about those that that we've come up with and to align ourselves to those as we look forward. I mean, uh, since launch in 2008 to now, man, this has been a God story, that's for sure. And yet what's ahead as we look with that? And so we talked about that. Then February and June, we really uh, kind of delved ourselves into gearing up as an equipped people if we are wanting those mission, that mission, that values, that vision to become a reality for us, we all need to kind of have a base camp here to where we're setting ourselves up and gearing ourselves up to together understanding what it looks like to be a growing forward people individually and collectively deeper in the Lord by looking back and looking ahead in redemptive history and looking to the cross and resurrection and then out of that reality, living new in Christ and for Christ because we have been called to new and we've been uh, made new and we've been equipped for new. And we went through that over those five months of time and now we're in this base camp year of uh, talking about what's forward as it has to do about mobilizing ourselves, and what it is to look like to be a sent forward people. So what does it look like to be people who are really permeating our communities, permeating our homes and our schools and our workplaces and permeating the west side of Indianapolis with the hope of the gospel? That's what we're digging into. And so I began this part of this series by first talking about the big picture from scripture. I just wanted us to see on that Sunday from Genesis to Revelation, there is this thing that God has a call and a desire for more like. Uh, More like brings glory to God. Adam and Eve, it's not just about the two of you here on a honeymoon for eternity. It's about the two of you here and I want you to fill the earth and have dominion over it with more like you. That gives me great glory. And we talked about that big picture, seeing the whole of Scripture. And then from there, as we talk about being sent forward, uh, I took a Sunday to talk about, let's narrow it in and let's take a look. Okay, now what does it look like to be someone who is making disciples? Let's look at Jesus and the practice of Christ. And we sum that up in saying, when you really follow through the Gospels and kind of summarize how Jesus did ministry, it's this. He ministered to the many while discipling a few. That's it. I mean, really, that's it. That's what he did. He ministered to the many while discipling a few. And by the way, I think his pattern we see as the pattern for you and I as well in Christ. We're to be ministering to the many, and yet we are also to be discipling a few. And we, out of that, we kind of took what we saw in Christ and have moved in, and I'll kind of call it into this, this call and commission for all of God's people Yeah, we're to be growing forward, we're to be deeper in the Lord as ones who are following Christ, maturing in Christ, and yet there is that aspect of we have been called, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we've been called to go and make disciples, disciples make disciples. That's part of what God has put uh, on our plate to be able to participate with him in. And and when it comes to making disciples, you and I ask the question, well, well like how? Because frankly, I don't know if you know this, Doug, but I'm not Jesus. <laughs> And, and how do we do that? And so that's what we've been talking about here. And biblically, what does that look like? And so uh, I've grabbed a hold of the image of something that I think all of us understand. And the Bible uses a lot uh, to help us picture things. And that's the picture of, of agriculture. And so I've used the picture of a farmer. And the disciples make by, it starts out by preparing. Uh, that's what farmers do. Farmers prepare and farmers plant and farmers water and farmers weed and farmers harvest. And that's what disciple makers do. Uh, We we begin by preparing, we're readying ourselves for it. And and in that also, just knowing our field. That was a big challenge for me as we started this. is, Is listen, you and I have been called to make disciples. What's your field? Are you in? Are you understanding this? Because it's not a request, it's a call, it's a commission on our lives. By preparing and disciples make disciples by planting that intentional, loving sowing of the gospel through we talked about through gospel moments that come up and gospel conversations that come up and also gospel biographies, in other words, your testimony of your walk with Christ and, and also just gospel unveilings, those tada moments where we, we are able to lay out the good news of Jesus, planting, and then disciples make by watering. Uh, Pastor Eric took us there, like Priscilla and Aquila that faithful, long-term watering of what's even already been started, and yet adding to it, watering it, fertilizing it, caring over it, being patient over it, waiting on it, giving it time in that, and yet pouring into it and watering. And then there's weeding. And uh, with that, I, I talked last Sunday about it's like Jesus. He's having these loving, humble, bold, routine, intentional, uh, pointing people uh, to truth conversations. Just even coming alongside people, and like Jesus did, uh, as we saw last Sunday, and Jesus coming along and helping people think. Like, really, that, that's, that's where it goes. Well, what about, well, what's your worldview? Well, what about worldviews and all these, co- man, we have an opportunity to help people just uh, think through life and situations, and today we're bringing that to harvesting. Uh, we make disciples by harvesting. Uh, here is where I think the sharing your faith conversation ventures into this realm of this is how you make it happen. This is how you get someone to commit to Christ. Kind of like this is how you close the deal, make the sale. And there's something about that that while we participate in what God is doing as we'll be talking about, there's something also bothersome to me about that. Because friends, people are not commodities. People are not numbers. People are souls. And so uh, I've kind of made a slight uh, shift in my time and focus here for today. Being that this is a base camp year and getting some bases down, I want to talk on this harvesting thing at the core base of it. Today is not about how you win someone to Christ. Today is more base than that. I would say it this way. I want us to pay attention to who wins people to Christ. And it's not me or you. Let's, let's kind of get the core of here. Let me start by saying it this way. Good farmers have a humility about their farming reality. Good farmers have a humility about their farming reality. Friends. A farmer may till the soil, and a farmer may plant the seed, but a farmer cannot make the seed sprout. The farmer cannot make the stalk grow. The farmer cannot make the leaves leaf, the ears ear, or the tassels tassel. (laughs) Farmer can't do that. But they get to participate in it. So let's, let's work that out here. So here's what I want to do. I want to take us to two places today. I want to take us first on a field trip. Field trips are awesome, aren't they? Remember those as kids, field trips? Woo, we don't have to be in school. Uh, go on a field trip, and then I want to take us on a walk through God's word. So God, would you, would you guide us? Would you move us? Would you work here? And God, literally, I, I ask that you would draw our attention to you and you alone in this. That we would be encouraged by this that we would be helped by this. Maybe even for some that they would be relieved by this. But most of all, might we be in awe of you by this. In Christ's name, amen. The bus is loaded and we're heading out to a nearby farm. Uh, We get to a farm and we meet farmer Bob and his wife Betty. Uh, We're standing uh, in about, let's just say, 200 acres of planted corn. It's October. It's right now, this time of the year. It's a cool day. It's a beautiful day. And and we're standing out with Farmer Bob and Betty, and, and we see the 200 acres of, I don't know, let's just say corn. It's corn this year that he's got growing in that corn. And, and we meet farmer Bob and Betty and, and they're telling us about what it's like to be a farmer because that's the objective of, of today's field trip and what really goes on. And, and as we go through that, we begin to learning that, wow, there's actually a lot of preparing work that goes into being a farmer before anything ever shows up there. I mean, Bob and Betty kind of have to have their act together and their awareness together on what it is to farm and tilling the soil and getting that ready out in the field where God has put them in and, and then also th- th- there's planting work that goes on. I, I just kind of thought, you know, riding that tractor just looks awesome, but actually it's, it, it's quite a process in, in the planting part of it and it was really fun to to learn about that. And then there's the uh, the watering work that goes on, not, not only just pouring water and praying for water to come, but even maybe even the fertilizing, because this is the part to where, you know, it's like you're just waiting for a long period of time in all this while, while they're also uh, caring for the tractor and fixing things up and, and getting things uh, arranged and around and, and there's even weeding work that takes place where sometimes they have to go out and, and till the soil up again and do some work to help it. Uh, in its growth, and uh, I came to learn that we don't just simply watch uh, a f- crop grow. Farmers just don't sit in their uh, house and watch it grow. Actually, they participate in the whole reality uh, of what goes on, and and one of us asked uh, Farmer Bob, uh, hey, how, how do you make uh, plants grow from a seed to what we see today, in here in October, close to harvest time, and he replies, uh, ah, um, Betty and I, we can't make it grow. We, we till it and then we plant it, and, but we can't make it sprout and we can't make it grow and we, we can't get it to that point. But we get to participate in it and it's such a cool thing to be a participant in the whole process of it all. And then another one of us asks, well, so uh, what do you do when it's like harvest time and, and to get it ready for harvest? Like what happens there? And, and, and uh, Betty actually comes in and says, actually, you know, we just keep our eye out. We go out into the field and we cheer it on every so often. You know, we get out in the field and we go, grow baby, grow. And yet, we can't get it to the point of harvest, actually, the plant itself. But we watch it, and we're there, and we're caring for it, and, and we see as things are taking place with it. And Farmer Bob adds in, he says, oh, and then when the harvest comes, it's glorious. You see, uh, we, we see that it's harvest, and 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 uh, we actually haven't gotten at that point, but we get to get in the tractor, and the whole harvest thing happens, you know, and the corn, and it's an exciting, it's a feasting time, it's a glory time. It's kind of the culmination of everything that's taking place. It's a celebration time. We are the farmer. God's people, we are the farmer. We are the ones who, by God's grace, has put us in various fields. Wherever your sphere of influence is, You have a farm that God has allowed you to be a part of. The question has to do with is, uh, so what are we doing with it? Are, Are we sitting in our house hoping it'll grow or are we engaging it? But as we engage in it, wait a second, there's a humility in that. The fact of the matter is, is we're not the ones who make it grow. And by the way, the fact that we don't make it grow is kind of uh, causes us to be very dependent outside of ourselves, right? And uh, we are the farmer. We are called and commissioned to participate in it. But only God can make it happen. Well, let's take a walk through God's word. Uh, Let me uh, lay a couple things out here. If you would, would you please turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, we'll start there. This year is a systematic theology study year, and that's been by design. Entering this year, uh, knowing the things we're gonna be talking about, as opposed to going, which is typical for me and typical for us, as opposed to going to a a specific book of the Bible and working that all out, I actually thought it's far better this year to instead of going to a text or two texts, for us to take from beginning to end and pull together Scripture talks about uh, our growing, Uh, forward and are being a sent forward people and so I've been engaging us in this whole big picture so we're going to do some walking uh, through God's word here for the rest of our time here. I want to start with uh, three verses or three texts and then we'll build off of the last one because I want to kind of establish something in the conversation. We're talking about disciples make by harvesting. What happens at harvest? What are we referencing in that illustration? Well, we're referencing when a person comes to Christ. First John 5, through 13 says this, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. God has given eternal life, friends. God has provided that. And this is a testimony that God has given eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son, she who has the Son, has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's a deciphering factor there. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, there is a with Christ reality and a without Christ reality. And the harvest takes place when the person without Christ comes to become one who is with Christ they come to that place to where they understand that they are a sinner before a holy god romans 3 they understand that that sin separates them from a relationship and even eternity with God. When at that point of harvesting, it is ripe when they're understanding their sinfulness, they're understanding God's holiness, they understand then that Christ came to die for them to pay the payment that we deserve to pay ourselves and yet he has made that available as many as received him, John 1:12. To them he gave the right to become children of God. That if you Uh, declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead Romans, you will be saved. There's a transference. There is from without Christ to with Christ. I call it when you drive the stake in the ground, where it's not just knowing about Christ, not just feeling guilty over sin, not just uh, in that place, but coming to the place where there is a definitive moment. When did you get married? You know the date you better. <laughs> you know the date. That's when it went from dating to covenant relationship. And it's the same with the Lord. We come along, we learn, we're kind of call it like we learn about the Lord. We learn what scripture has to say. We're kind of dating this thing with God. And then there comes a moment to enter into a covenant relationship with God. And we pray and we receive Christ as our Savior. Do you have such a story? Oh, I pray that you do when you've been transferred because it is at that moment, in that nanosecond of what takes place in your soul that the work of Christ is transferred and imputed upon you. And your bank account before God is no longer a bank account of debt after debt after debt of sin. That debt has been replaced with the account of Christ. That's the harvest moment. And that is the moment in this illustration when it's like it's there. And if you think about even seeds from a harvest, think about that. Even from the seeds, they can then be used and multiplied on out. 1 John 5, 11 through 13. Harvesting happens at salvation. It begins there. Uh, Turn with me uh, to Matthew 9. Because while harvesting happens at salvation, harvesting on our part calls for our participation. We're going to be talking in just a moment how the reality of the harvesting, this is a God thing. The farmer doesn't make the plant mature to the place where the corn is ready to be harvested. The farmer can't make that happen, but it participates in it. And that's Matthew 9. A number of verses I could have grabbed, but I'm grabbing this one. We had referenced it earlier in this series. Um, Harvesting calls for our participation When Jesus uh, went throughout all the cities and villages, uh, verse 35, uh, Luke, I'm sorry, Matthew 9, uh, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel to the kingdom and healing every disease, every affliction, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he was utterly annoyed with them because he had other things to do. It doesn't say that, does it? By the way, someone who is involved in making disciples is someone who is not annoyed by people, but someone who has a compassion for people. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I think you've kind of heard me allude to it, say it over these last couple years. Listen, friends, God's people, we gotta get off being mad with the world. We gotta get off of that. Because they're sheep without a shepherd. Why do we expect them to act as if they love God? Why do we do that? Instead, there should be a compassion for, and this is a prerequisite to be a disciple maker. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Hey, who's the one over the harvest? Answer, God And yet the one over the harvest calls us to enter into it and participate in it. It is God's harvest, but we get to ride the tractor. I love tractors. I am not kidding on this. This is not in my notes. Graduating senior in high school, you know, you take the thing, what should you do later in life? I kind of already had my ideas on what it was. I got the thing back and it said two things. You should be a priest or a farmer. I laughed at both. I'm a minister, I love farming. Even though I don't do it, I got my eight tomato plants. But listen, do you see here this thing? We're to be involved in it. Matthew 28, 19, 20, go and make disciples. Acts 1, 8, Uh, and you will be my witnesses. Romans 10, 13 to 15, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then it goes on to say this, and how will they believe in him? How will they hear of him if no one speaks to them? Listen, I'm telling you, God can make it happen, but the idea here is is that we get to participate in the reality of it. Colossians 1.28, Paul declares, we proclaim him. 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ crucified. And add to that all the scriptures throughout this series so far in preparing and planting and watering and weeding and God's people, we are to be a people that is pointing all people to a passionate pursuit of the radiant God. And we do that humbly as we are pursuing our our own passionate pursuit of the radiant God. And we do all of this humbly knowing that we don't make squat happen. We participate. Participating is a wonderful place to be because you get to participate (laughs) in something that you can't do. And that's what's so glorious about this. And that's why coming along people and even sharing the gospel with them, listen, I have never saved anyone. You have never saved anyone. Only God saves souls. And yet we get to participate in it. I want the participant badge. I mean, this is a cool thing for us. turn to 1 Corinthians 3. i got to catch a breath because I'm excited. 1 Corinthians 3. Harvesting happens at salvation. Harvesting calls for our participation. Harvesting is a divine causation. Boy, that's a big word for me. Harvesting is a divine causation. Uh, let's just put this on the table and then we're going to work it a little bit because it's a marvelous thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. When one says, well, I follow Paul, and another says, well, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Verse 5. When then, what then is Apollos? Ooh, this is humbling. What is Paul. Oh, they are servants. That's right. They are servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. You have it right there. They are servants in the process of it, and yet it is the Lord who is the one, uh, if you will, assigning to each. Verse six. This is gold. Paul says, "I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth." I'm just going to tell you. And I could go into this. I am a planter type. I just am. And here Paul is talking about he planted. That's the functional reality of what Paul did. Paul planted and then Apollos comes along and Apollos takes it to somewhere else so that Paul could not only do something else but probably better than Paul could ever do. I'm just telling you there's a word in that for what's going on right now here. I'm a planter. I I just am out of that. And, and it's not about Paul, it's not about Apollos, but who gives the growth? That's like a Sunday school answer, isn't it? Who gives the growth? Yeah, God does. Uh, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You see, farmers have a great humility about their farming reality. They are participants in it. They are servants in it. But they can't make the seeds sprout. They can't make the stalk grow or the ear ear or the corn corn or the tassel tassel. But they get to participate. And they take great delight in that. Let's work this out. Because I'm going to say it this way. I believe all of this news is freeing news and exciting news. At the core of this and understanding what it is to to harvest, there is a freeing news in it. This is not a sermon about get after it. Get after it. Sit down with 10 people this week and share the bridge illustration and the four spiritual laws or whatever uh, evangelism tool you might use. It's not about that. This is about God is the one who who does the work in it. And yes, we can grab in our tools, but we don't make it happen. Hey, parent who yearns for their child to come to Christ, know this. You can't make them come to Christ. But you are key in pointing them. Oh, child who is yearning for your parent to come to Christ, you can't make them come to Christ, but you can point them. Oh, at work, and at school, and in the neighborhood, and in the community. We can't make anyone come to Christ, but we can point them, and love them, and come alongside them, and be servants of them, and even when opportunities are there to present the gospel to them, we get to do that, and yet God is the one who makes it happen, and that is freeing. Everybody, (sighs) freed up. Oh, Doug, you can't say that because now God's people will back off and just go, ah, I don't have to be a part of it. No, if you're going to do that straight up on the table, you're being disobedient. Because God has called us to make disciples. He has called us to participate in it. And if we back out of it, we're now being disobedient to the call. It's freeing, and it's exciting. Who doesn't want to be a participant in something like what God does? Have you ever been a part, a participant, uh, a part of something that's really big and awesome and something you love? Man, you talk about that for years and decades later, I got to be a part of this and I got to be a part. Well, what did you do there? I was just there. I was just a participant. You didn't get on stage. You mean you didn't make the race happen? No, I was a participant in it. It's an exciting thing. So let's work out some more scriptures. Turn to John 16. John 16, Uh, we're working this out. Harvesting is a divine causation. I want for you to see this is not just a single verse item. This is a movement. This is a a, a systematic thread through the New Testament. John 16, verse 7, Jesus says, never." let me get my tongue caught up with my head. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. By the way, that is an amazing Trinitarian theological statement right there. Jesus is literally saying, I have to leave, and when I leave, I will send him. Fascinating. Um, uh, but if I go, I will send him to you, verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Isn't that we want for for people to understand that there is sin, that there is righteousness, that there is judgment? We want that to have come true and for someone to come to Christ. Who makes that happen? The Spirit of God does. Your and my job is not to convict a person. Your and my job is not to convince them of their injustice before a holy righteous God. Our job is to converse with them and point them to scripture and to God and what God has to say. It is the spirit of God's job to bring the conviction and the work in them. Let's keep going. Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, verse four. Turn there. More pages I need to hear turning unless you're all on digital. Acts 2 verse 4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, this is right after Christ ascended. Uh, After that, I'm setting the context, now go to verse 37, 38, now when they heard this, the people, they were cut to the heart, who, 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 who brought the cutting to the heart? Well, Peter did by his awesome sermon, wrong. Peter proclaimed, and the Spirit of God brought the cutting to the heart in people's lives. Peter is participating with what God is at work doing, and God is at work doing what only God can do. And, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, uh, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, verse 41. And they were, there were added that day some 3,000 souls. So much for tiny churches are the best churches. 3,000 souls, verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day who were being saved. By the way, who added to their number? Peter added to the number? Uh, No, no, no. Uh, The Lord added to their number. God is the one who is doing this. Look at Acts 15, verse 4. Acts 15, uh, verse 4. We're seeing this thread. When they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And after this ministry trip, what are they gonna declare? And they declared all that God had done with them. You see it? It, there's a with them, they were there, they were involved, they were communicating, they were pouring their lives into people, and, and yet who is the one is doing all the work? God is the one. This is what humble farmers get. It's not what you did, it's what God did with you. And verse, chapter 16, verse 14, 16, verse 14, and one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. In other words, I would suggest, I think it's really, she was, had spiritual leanings at this point, point. and look, Verse 14 end, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Isn't that cool? Hey, if you're paying attention right now in this, don't take credit for it. I'm not taking credit for it. God's at work and you even paying attention. And it was the same thing then. God is at work in Lydia's life that it's like, Lydia's like, I'm gonna pay attention and she's paying attention to what Peter is uh, proclaiming in, or what Paul is proclaiming. Go to Acts 21, Acts chapter 21, verse 17. Similar, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly, and the following day Paul went in uh, with us to James, and and the elders were present, and after greeting them, uh, he related one by one again the things that God had done among the Gentiles. Oh, through his ministry. Again, he is involved, and God is the one who makes it happen. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. F- familiar verse, verse 23, but it's really in verse 24 that I want to make reference. Romans 3:23 and 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and verse twenty-four, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Who does the justifying work? God does. It is His work, His grace, His gift. Now I'll just make reference to a few more. First Corinthians one nine, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the Son. God called you. If you know Christ is your Savior, friend, you weren't smart enough to figure it out. The person helping you see this wasn't the key of it all. God was. God was at work in you. And that's why it's such a celebration moment. God drew you, God convicted you, and God has justified you, and God has redeemed you. It is all his work. 2 Corinthians 7, 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. I'll just say, in that, there's, there's a kind of this context, worldly grief, godly grief, and there's this godly grief from God that leads to salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. And uh, you are living in disobedience. Then verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with him, with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable me- measurable graces. He might show himself. I'm just wanting us to bathe in this today. Because this is the point in time when these kind of conversations come to the place of a church revealing what's the big program and how we're going to make this happen. Or makes a big call on how are you going to make this happen to those people around you. And we're missing something in some of that. Yes, we are called. And there's nothing wrong with programs. And there's nothing wrong with directions in that. But friends, God is the one who does it. We get to participate in it. He is the cause, not us. There are some people around you in your life who don't know Christ. They are without Christ. It might be in your household. It might be in your extended family. It might be with friends. It might be the neighbors in the houses surrounding you. It might be in the schoolmates sitting around you at school. Hey, God's people... Understand, God is already at work in their lives. God is already at work in their lives. And yet God has called us to come along and participate in what he is doing. And so when we enter into it, we don't enter into it as though we are the savior of the uh, whole situation at hand. We enter into it as though God is already at work because he loves them and he has died for them and he desires that all would be saved and God is already engaged in that and we come into it with this reality that we get to participate in it. God, how can I help? How can I be a part of seeing you take this further? Farmer Bob and Betty. They look over their field where God has placed them. And there's something really sweet in their eyes. This is our farm. And yet they know they didn't create that farm. They didn't create the dirt. They didn't even make it there. This is our farm, and yet God's the one who's put us here. And God has called us to be farmers who prepare for harvest and who plant and who water and who weed and who even get on the tractor and on those joyous years when there's a harvest. Because frankly, there are some years where there's no harvest. Now in those years, we get to participate and we get to take in what God has done. And we hear them saying, harvests are glorious occasions. They're not pat on our backs, their eyes lifted up and awed by what God has done. And we've got to be a part of it. As we look forward as a church, And as we look forward and want to be a people who are deepening our walk with the Lord individually and corporately, and out of that are a people who are also permeating the west side of Indianapolis with the hope of the gospel. There should be a great fervor in our souls for it. And a great humility in our doing it. You and I do not bring people to Christ. You and I participate in God bringing them to Himself. Let's see it rightly and go from there. Lord, thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for your invitation for us to participate and for us to point. Lord, we participate, we do not cause. We point, but it is the Spirit of God who draws. We participate, we do not cause. It is the Spirit of God who is the one that draws. I pray you would burn that in our souls and out of that would grow a healthy, dependent, prayer-filled life for you to work. We get the point. We get to participate. And we get to do that in the reality of you at work. Oh, how humbling. Oh, how awesome. God, I pray that you would bring a harvest unlike we have never seen on the west side of Indianapolis. I pray that we would be active participants in it, prayer warriors for it. And we would just be able to watch you at work and awed by it. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen.